How many of you are blessed this morning? Say amen. amen. Just so excited to be with each and every one of you today here in the house of the Lord. What an amazing weekend. Give me just a second here if you don't mind. Man, I, I love that last song we sang. I mean, you know how wonderful it is to give yourself to Jesus. You give yourself away, and it's amazing how he multiplies everything back. You can never outgive God. Um, our text this morning is found in Romans chapter 12. I want to jump right in. Got some special things going on at the close of the service today. And want to make room for those. So today we're, we're jumping into the fifth in this interactive series called App. All you guys have got smartphones and you have apps on them, applications. And so we've been endeavoring to try our best to bring the word to a very practical application. We've been strong on the what, the evangelical church especially, strong on the what, the doctrine, the teaching. And maybe a little too light on the, the so what. How do I practically, what are the implications of this in my daily life? And then sometimes we don't really press this thing hard enough to bring, bring it down to the now what. what. What do I do with this? You know, it's, it's one thing to understand the what, the big picture of God. It's another thing to say, okay, so what? This is how it makes a difference in people's lives in general. But then now what? How does this apply to me? And what kind of action do I have to take today to respond to the word for God to do a work in me? Many times that work is the beginning of the response, just God doing his work and applying bringing a realization of the power of the Word in your life. We've been doing this series now. This is the fifth week. We're finishing it up today. We'll take about 20 minutes, try our best to do it, about 20, one thought. And then while we're teaching, you tweet in to Victory Wired, at Victory Wired, or to the number that's going to appear on the screen or in your notes as well, a question that relates to the topic. And um, if, if you have one that's just burning, that's not topic-related, that's fine. We'll do our best to answer that. But uh, this has been a great opportunity, I think, to really try and bring clarity to some of the things of the Word that many times just sort of we shout about on Sunday and then we go, okay, really, what difference does that make in my life on Monday? And I abhor that. I think that the Word is for all of life. The Bible is not a devotional book for Sunday morning soul issues only. The Bible is this treasure of, of principles and wisdom and, and commandments and precepts and laws and promises and, and the grace of God revealed, the truth of God revealed, the love of God revealed. It is this amazing, this just smorgasbord and buffet of all of these things put together. The law word of the Lord will bring change. It will lead us. It will guide us. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is forever settled in heaven. And so we're, we're making an attempt to, to make this intensely practical. And this morning, we are picking up with number five in the series. I want to ask you to stand with me one more time. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The title of the message today is called Preventing Identity Theft. Preventing Identity Theft. And we're going to read Romans 12, 1 and 2 twice. The first time in the English Standard Version and then the second time in the message. Because I think that will really help us get it saturate it, it penetrate our hearts. <clears throat> Here we go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Wonderful. Now here we go in the message. All right? So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we are overwhelmed at your goodness and your love and your mercy. Lord, every one of us absolutely deserve hell and all that it's given and intended for, but thank you for your grace that you've poured it out upon us. Oh, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? God, we thank you for that. Lord, this morning we pause in this weekend. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus who fought the battle and won the victory. He ran the race and won the prize. And Lord, in addition, we thank you for the multitudes of men and women who gave their lives for us. Lord, on the battlefields of honor and valor. Lord, many times losing their lives in what looked like defeat, but Lord, ultimately to rescue and win freedom so that we could stand in this place this morning without fear of recourse, without fearing that someone would rush into this room and take us and put us in prison because we're just attempting to worship the name of the God of the universe. God, we thank you for that freedom. Thank you that that freedom is not cheap. Thank you that it was bought by the blood of patriots. Lord, who down through the years have given their lives, men and women. Lord, we pray for their families. We pray that you strengthen them, those that were lost in battle. Lord, those that are home, Lord, even from the Vietnam War and from, Father, from the, the first Gulf War and, Lord, the second one and those that even right now in harm's way in Afghanistan and Iraq and other hot spots around the world, we join our hearts together and we ask you in the name of Jesus to let the protection of the Lord be upon them. Lord, you're a mighty warrior. Stretch your wings out, O God, and defeat, defeat the enemy. Bring peace on earth. We cry out to you for that. We thank you that it's not finished until we see that completely revealed in a new heavens and a new earth. Hasten the day, Lord, we pray. Bless this service. Bless this time. I acknowledge before you that I can't do anything without you. Lord, you are the only teacher. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated together in the presence of the Lord. Our whole reason for doing this series is to bring an understanding of the, pra the practical application of, for the believer in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. in Christ. That is a key phrase that you need to understand. There are only two people in the earth. There are two men. Two men in the earth, Adam and Christ. You're either in one company or the other. 1 Corinthians 15 says, in Adam all die. Everything about Adam is rebellious, it's breeding death, it's decay, it's destruction, it's falling apart. But there is an alternative. 1 Corinthians 15 says, in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. And so this morning, it's an either or. It's a very simple thing. It's, it's not 
uh, a spectrum of shades of gray. It's just completely black or white. It's one or the other. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son shall not see life. You either do or you don't. You're in Adam or you're in Christ. You're in Adam, everything's dying. You're in Christ, everything is being made alive. In Christ is the identifier. I've been preaching this series because it's so critical that believers grasp an understanding of what was completed at the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ finished the work. He said to his disciples who asked him a question one day in John 4, is there meat to eat? He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and finish the work. John 17, he prayed the high priestly prayer. He said, Lord, I have finished the work that you've sent me to do. Now glorify. That was his prayer. Now glorify. Jesus hung on the cross to the It is paid. It's finished. It's completely done in full. His last words were, it is finished. He gave up the ghost and went to the presence of the Father. Jesus Christ settled finally. 2,000 years ago, it's done completely. Nothing's left over. No interest left to be paid. No, no remainder on the balance. Everything completely that requires the payment for the sin debt in your past, your present, and your future was all dealt with at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. The penalty of sin is finished. But not only the penalty of sin, but the power of Satan. It was a finished sacrifice. It was a finished victory. Jesus Christ spoiled principalities, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It was a definitive work. He marched down into the bowels and the caverns of hell, and he looked at the jailer, and he said, I will take those keys. Those are mine. And the one who used to have the power of death in his hand no longer does, and now Jesus is alive. He was dead, but now he is alive, and he is the firstborn from the dead, and he holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave because he is the victor. He dealt with finality, the power of Satan. Satan is a dog on a leash. He cannot do anything except God the Father. The sovereign of the universe allows him to do. I want you to recognize the finished work of Christ. Then he merges into this concept in our second message where we talked about the new creation. Exactly what does that mean? We talk about fresh starts here at Victory. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The King James says, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become. It's present progressive in the Greek tense. All, all things are become new. Literally, it's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. What does it mean when I get up and go to work tomorrow morning? So what? I'm a new creature in Christ. Well, it means I have a new identity. I'm no longer in Adam, but I'm in Christ. And today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about preventing identity theft because the enemy wants to steal your awareness of who you are. And the battle is always right up here. We, we, we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new standing. It's called the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We have a new nature on the inside of us. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and God, by grace, made us alive in Christ, not by our own choice, but he just, by his divine unction, breathed into your deadness, and you came alive. And that's the only reason that you can even trust in him is because he breathed in you new life. It's called regeneration. We moved from the new creation to Pastor Chip in message number three, and he talked about meekness, and he talked about the person of self, selfishness. Many times 
if I don't deal with self, even though the cross has finally dealt with the power of Satan and the penalty of sin, if I don't deal with self, then I can provide a place for Satan to move in and tempt me. I can provide a foothold for him to get a little wedge in. And so if I will deal with myself by picking up my cross daily and dying on that cross, dying to my desires of my own self, my own suke, Greek word suke, we get psyche, psychology, the study of the soul. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. The mind is what I think. The will is what I want. The emotions are what I feel. And when I can go to the cross of my own self and, and die to what I think and what I want and what I feel and say, God, I give myself away. I give away what I think and what I want and what I feel because I want you to use me because I'm convinced that the thoughts of the Lord are higher than my thoughts and his ways are higher than my ways. Come on, somebody. If I can get a revelation of a higher life that's moving and working on the inside of me because of the new creation of Christ, because of the finished work of the cross that occurred 2,000 years ago, if I can die on my own cross and crucify myself and let the life of Christ come out in me, then I can begin to see the newness of life that I desire. Last week we went to James 1. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Come on, help me. I'm asking him to change his ways. We went to James 1 and I preached the man in the mirror. I guarantee you, a whole lot of you in the room have never heard this this way because you've grown up in a church that bless the pastor's heart, maybe a good man, but he's just riddled with a sin consciousness. Rather than preaching righteousness consciousness to the congregation of the saints of the Lord that are all new creations in Christ, doesn't mean we don't have sin that needs to be dealt with, but it means that you don't focus on everything you used to be, but now you are in Christ and you go over here and focus on what's being made alive. What did we learn? The, the anger of man won't produce the righteousness of God. And some folks feel like they haven't been to church unless they've had a good wife beaten. And Jesus doesn't beat his bride. Anger of man won't produce the righteousness of God. I go to the Word. I don't go with a sin consciousness looking to see everything that is no good, low down, I'm nothing but a worm, so unworthy. That is old nature. That is the old man that I buried in the waters of baptism. But now something is alive on the inside of me. Something that God sees potentially and something that is of the very nature and the life and the seed of God is down on the inside of me. And when I go, I go and I go to the Word and I open it up and I say, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And there's only one right answer and his name is Jesus. So when I go to open the mirror of the Word, I don't go to see sin revealed. I go to see the face of Christ revealed on the inside of me. And thank God I'm seeing a resemblance. There's a family resemblance. Thank God. You know what? When a little baby is born, I had the privilege of being at the hospital for Carla and David Smith and little Carson Neal. Man, I love this name. His name, Carson Neal, means courageous champion. I mean, this kid is going to be a success. I'm telling you. Can you imagine every time even they get mad at him? Carson Neal! Literally what they're saying is, come in here, courageous champion. Isn't that great? I love it. Now, you know what? That little face is still growing and it's forming. And they're looking and they're trying to see, well, does he look like Carla? Does he look like David? You know what? When you first are born into the kingdom of God, you're looking to see some resemblance to your heavenly father and that's still growing on the inside of you and you keep going to the mirror of the word and you're looking for for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ 
But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. I'm looking for a resemblance. I'm looking into your word. I'm seeing a resemblance, looking more like you, Lord. I'm changing day by day. I wrote this song 30 years ago because I got this revelation in the 80s. No longer do I look into your word with condemnation. Recall no more the sins before that brought us separation. A fresh new look into the book has brought me revelation. Are you hearing me? I'm looking more like you, Lord. I'm changing day by day. Are you hearing me this morning? So we move from the man in the mirror to today. Wow, I'm at 16 minutes and I've got four minutes to preach today's message. (laughs) My wife tells me all the time, if you just cut out all that reviewing you do, you'd be fine. How many of you know you need that to lay this in, okay? All right, all right. Let me, just give me a few and let me, let me jump in. Just how important is protecting my identity in Christ? I believe that in the same way you can turn on the TV and you see LifeLock protects your identity, your social security number. I believe you are LifeLocked in Christ. Jesus said, no one can take these out of my hand. When we talk about something being stolen from you, it is not your place or your standing with God. The enemy does not have the power or the authority. You are covered. It's like, you got a force shield over you. That's okay. I got your attention when I did that. You've got the blood. I mean, it's like Star Wars. The fence shields up. The blood is covering you. So the enemy cannot cross that line. So the issue is not about you being stolen, but it's about the awareness of who you are in Christ in your thinking. Because if you forget, if you walk away from that mirror and you forget who you are, then you can go out there and do some pretty ridiculous stuff. A whole lot of men in their midlife forget who they are and go pull some real shenanigans because they forgot themselves. It's like the doctor in Gone with the Wind when he looked to his wife and he said, Mrs. Mead, remember yourself. If you haven't seen Gone with I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> Look at your neighbor right now. Tell him, say, remember yourself. You've got to remember who you are in Christ. The MO of the enemy, the modus operandi of the enemy, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is the original abortionist. He wants to do everything he can to abort the seed of the word of God in you. He will get up in your life and he will do everything he can. He will run into you to try to stop the pregnancy. Your expectation of the hope of God that's birthed on the inside of you that God's going to bring forth. He is the original abortionist. He steals, he kills, he destroys 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, stay awake, come on, be alive, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Notice it didn't say God's enemy, it said your enemy. That's another whole message in itself. The devil's not God's enemy because the devil's already, he's already been defeated by Jesus. God's got him on a leash. He's, God is totally and completely in control. It amazes me sometimes, some churches that preach a devil that's bigger than God. And God is like almost like a cosmic fireman who's having to go around and put out all the fires that the devil is starting. That's just nonsense. 
God is about the business of working all things together for good for you because you love God and because you are called according to his purpose. Hear the word of the Lord and receive it this morning. But the devil does have one MO. This is what he does. And I'm not going to take time to read these scriptures, but they are there. How does he do it? He steals, he kills, and destroys. How does he do that? Number one, Matthew 4, 3, it says the tempter came to Jesus. The enemy tempts you. He tries to distract you, cause you to forget who you are. Okay, And he sees where there are areas of weaknesses, and every one of us in the room has some. We have proclivities. We have, we, have, we, have, we have issues that our body is screaming at us, appetites in all kinds of areas that are just about being human. And, it, and if you're weak in one of those areas, or you're, you're deficient in one of those areas, when Jesus had fasted 40 days, the enemy came and tempted him in his greatest area of weakness. If you're the son of God, make those rocks right there be a big piece of sourdough. Make them bread. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. A present proceeding word. Every word that is presently coming out of the mouth of God. That's what man lives by. And Every time the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus responded with the word in kind. And he was able to defeat the enemy because he took the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6 Verse 18 talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need the Word. Look at your neighbor and say, you need the Word in your mouth and in your heart. The second one, he's the deceiver. Revelation 12, 9. He's called the deceiver of nations. This is what he does. He tempts you. He draws you into something. And if you do give in, let me just say this. Let me, let me tell you this. First of all, it's not a sin to be tempted. Some folks say, well, you know, if I just was a pastor, if I really prayed, if I was a Real saint of God, I know that I really wouldn't have this temptation. That's the most ridiculous, farcical idea I've ever heard. Because if anything, the closer you get to God, the more the enemy has something painted on your back in terms of a target. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. Hebrews 4, in all points he was tempted like we were, or we are rather, yet without sin. The temptation is not the sin. It's what you choose to do with the temptation that either makes it become a sin or not, or you get stronger. And learning to resist, the enemy will flee. If you give in, then guess what? You've forgotten momentarily what the mirror is showing you, that you're a man in Christ and the new man is being revealed. You've stepped away and forgotten and you've forgotten who you were for a moment and you get tempted and you're drawn into an old pattern, a destructive way of thinking or living, whether whatever the flavor is, the drug or any, any kind of an improper relationship or any kind of situation or circumstance that you're tempted to do and you know that it's not righteous. Well, as soon as you do it, then the enemy says, oh, you know, nobody really knows anything about this. It'll be fine. And guess what? You're strong. You can really, by the way, you need to de-stress, you know. You've really got a lot on you. And, you know, this will do you good. And it's really, what's the difference in this and that? And he's always comparing and contrasting. And he's saying, you know, it really doesn't make any difference. And besides, you're just so strong. You can measure this. And, and, you know, after all, it's really about moderation. If you just be careful and just moderate it, you'll be fine. And the enemy deceives you into thinking that nobody's going to ever find out about it. And you can control it. And guess what? When it's finally wrapped its tentacles all the way around you and the spider of temptation and deception has woven its web around you, then he turns and he picks up his third M.O. That's when he begins to accuse you. And that's when he traps you and he says, See, you're not really who you claim you are. If you were, you wouldn't be struggling with what you're trapped in now. He tempts you, 
draws you in. He deceives you and makes you think you can run it and control it. And then finally, when he's got you, he accuses you. And that's what he's called the accuser of the brethren. But I'm thankful this morning, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they, the saints of God, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. This is why you have to always be reminded to go back in your past and you look at the cross where you confess Christ and you see 2,000 years ago in your past, it is finished. The blood was applied there. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. But it wasn't just the blood of the Lamb. It's what came out of their mouth. The word of their testimony. Bless God, I am covered by the blood. I confess my sins and now the righteousness of God has been restored to me. If you're tempted and you fall, confess it to Christ. Deal with it. Move on. Don't let that define you. You be reminded of what happened in the past and you speak out of that, out of a confidence of what he did at the cross 2,000 years ago. The word of your testimony is Jesus Christ has forgiven me. I posted this on the Victory Facebook page yesterday. It's a C.S. Lewis quote. Great English philosopher. C.S. Lewis is a favorite of mine. Wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and some amazing books, Mere Christianity. A number of great essays. And he says this, If God has forgiven us, then we certainly should forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's as if we're setting ourselves up as a tribunal higher than him. If God has looked at your life and called you forgiven, he's called you accepted in Christ. He's given you a fresh start. You're a new creation. The past may make you who you are today, but it does not define who you now can become in Christ because it's been dealt with. The waters of baptism have drawn a line of demarcation. Children of Israel were delivered from Egypt by the blood through the water. The water cut off all of the hosts of of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and all of those taskmasters. They drowned in the waters of baptism of the Red Sea. I was so excited. A young lady in our first service came forward and said, Pastor, I've been coming to victory for a while and I've made a profession of faith in Christ and I'm ready to be baptized. I want to take my next step. And I got so excited with Naterica hearing her testimony and what God is doing. By the way, if that's you, if that's your life, let me tell you, the second Sunday of June we'll be baptizing. We're excited about doing that. See me after service today. That's an important step because it cuts off all of that stuff from the past. And it's, a, it's an identification that you've been raised up in newness of life in Christ. All right. Finally this morning, this is the real meat of the message here, the power of the word. Everybody say the power of the word. James 1.21 says, With meekness receive the implanted word. Get it planted in your heart, which is able to save your souls. Romans 12.2 says, be not conformed to this world. We have two choices in this verse. It's either conform or be transformed. We can either be conformed or be transformed. To be conformed, literally the Greek word means to conform oneself in mind and character to another's pattern. Or to fashion oneself according to. It literally gives the idea of kind of a cookie cutter mold. Uh, Augustine wrote a great book in the fourth century. He's the, the, the Bishop of Hippo. He was an African, respected highly in, in terms of theology in the Roman Catholic Church and was, was a man who really got this whole idea of by grace through faith alone. And Calvin and Luther both reached down into the roots of Augustine and, and began to develop their theology out of what God showed him. 
And he talked about in the book called The City of God, he talks about two cities that are being built simultaneously. One is the city of man. The other one's the city of God. And the city of man is built out of bricks. Everything is uniform. Everybody looks identical. It's all the same. You have to toe the line. You have to conform. You have to meet the pattern. You have to be cookie-cuttered in the city of man. It's, it's look like the culture says you're supposed to look. Wear the latest fashions to be accepted. But in the city of God, it's not the cookie-cutter mold of the brick, but it's living stones of which every one of us is a different shape, and we are fitted perfectly into the wall of the temple of the Lord in the city of God. And I'm thankful that I've got some men and women that are working alongside me, and God is putting us together in all of our different shapes and making us and holding us together with the mortar of the Spirit of God. And we're not cookie-cutter molded together. We're not trying to maintain some kind of image among an accepted group. You know, everybody's got their groups. you got your little cheerleaders at school, and you got your little nerds, and your little computer geeks, and, and, and you've got the emos, and you've got the goths. Now, some of you older folks just wonder, you think I'm speaking in tongues. But you've got all these groups that have their certain look, and if you don't have their look, you're not accepted in their group. And oh, we adults just sit back and laugh at that and don't even realize that we've got our own. All of us good old rednecks around here got to have our pickups and our gun racks in the back. And a little bit of dip right here. And a ring on your back pocket back here. And your hunting license that flops out with your Ducks Unlimited credit card. Or maybe you're a yuppie. You're a young upward professional and you've got a $3,000 set of golf clubs and you're in a German-engineered automobile and you're climbing the ladder of success and everything that you wear is either Armani or it's got a horse and a rider on it. Now, lest you think I'm making fun of people, let me just tell you, preachers have the worst image consciousness of anybody. You get a bunch of preachers together in a room and you talk about insecurity, baby. It just like, it has a scent to it. Well, I got to look like a Southern Baptist pastor. Well, I have to look like a Pentecostal preacher. Well, I have to look like a non-denominational pastor. What does all of that look like? Do you hear what I'm saying? You know, well, I got to live in this neighborhood. I got to drive this, or I've got to act like this, or I've got to preach like this, or I've got to have this job. And everybody's got this thing, this culture around us that's driving them in this image, and it's about stealing your identity. Because no two of us are the same, and God's not about making all of us cookie cutters to, to, to be shaped toward our little group of image that we have. Don't let the world fashion you. Don't let the world mold you into any particular idea because there's a uniqueness, and God is not about conforming you. He's about transforming you. Be not conformed. Siskematizo, literally, is to conform or fashion oneself according to another's pattern. Or the pattern of the world, it says. And the, the Greek word for world is not the earth. It's the word ion. It's a period of time. It's the age. It's the spirit of this age to make everybody conform. It's the spirit of this age. You know, it's, just a, it's a misnomer so many times among, I believe, well-intentioned, good, godly men who preach that the devil owns the planet and they, they just don't do a very, very little, simple little basic word study when it says, well, he's the God of this world. In the King James, it's the Greek word ion. Satan's not the God of the earth. The earth belongs to the Lord. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell in it. God owns the title deed to the planet. It's his. This is not the devil's. doesn't belong to him. 
But there is a God of this age out here, the God of the spirit of this world. The God of this age has blinded the minds of men. And the light of the glorious gospel of God is the only thing that can penetrate that blindedness. All right? Don't be conformed to the spirit of this age, but be transformed. Greek word is metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis from it. Tenth grade biology class. The caterpillar spins the web around itself and creates its own casket. It dies, and there's a struggle in the death. But in that death, there's the emergence of a whole new kind of life. And it's a metamorphosis. It's a transformation. It's a picture of the old life that's gone. You were a worm, no good. But now it emerges something that is entirely new and beautiful. The metamorphosis of God in your life is that he's transforming you to be in the same image of his son, Jesus Christ. The butterfly from heaven, not the worm. Are you hearing me? So we're being transformed. How are we being transformed? By the renewing of our minds. Fill in that blank and we're done. Renew your mind in the Word. Say that. Renew your mind in the Word. I would encourage you to get a Bible that's a working Bible. Not, not Granny's Bible that you're proud of and you want to put on a shadow box and hang on the wall. But I'm talking about go to Walmart and spend three bucks and get you a Bible that you can get a red highlighter or a, or a pink underliner or something and go through the New Testament and circle or highlight every time you see the phrase in him, in Christ. Because those things that describe Christ, you are now in him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Those things, those truths describe you. You are righteous because he is righteous. You are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians chapter 1. You don't need to grapple for the acceptance of any other group or to maintain any kind of image because Christ sees his image inside of you. That's the only image you should be concerned about is the image of Jesus. None of those others. Are you hearing me this morning? Be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek word there literally means a renovation. How many of you have ever done any renovating in your houses? What do you do when you renovate? You have to tear out what? Tear out the old before you build in the new. Literally, when Christ comes into your heart, he's tearing out the old nature and he begins to rebuild and put in something new. And we have to walk with our minds being renewed to who we are now. No longer in Adam, but now in Christ. Going to the mirror of the word and saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Jesus is the only right answer. It's not me. But it's Jesus in me. It's Jesus in you. The focus is no longer on the man of sin, but it's on the new man, the man Christ Jesus. Settle this today. This is in your notes. Settle this today. You can never realize your full potential in calling in Christ without committing to regular, consistent time in the Word of God. Through the Word, we have the ability to think God's thoughts after Him. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. When you have a copy of the Word, you have a copy of the revealed will of God. You're holding the reading of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ in your lap. He's the only man who ever died as a testator to put his will into effect and then rose from the dead to become the executor over his own estate. That'll preach, my goodness. Give me a black choir and all afternoon long and I can squeeze every drop out of that grape. I'm telling you the truth. 
I want to say it again. Jesus Christ is the only man who ever died as a testator to put his last will and testament into effect and then rose from the grave to become the executor over his own estate. And I'm looking at his estate this morning. The planet on which we live and the people in which he inhabits. Come on. My, 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 my. Come on, Pastor Alex. Let's get some questions going. Colossians chapter 3. Listen to this, if you'd put that up for me. Doing an awesome job back there, Lance Bell. Listen to this, Colossians 3. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert with the things and what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Mm. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Here it comes right here. That means killing off everything connected with that way of death, everything that is a memory of Adam. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it, grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. There's a, that's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. I, I need me some of that. I, I can get irritable. Don't say amen, Dawn. I, I, can, I, can, I can get angry. How many of you know this morning, I'm not loaded for bear for anybody. This is for all of us. Someone say all of us. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the Creator with His label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. Last line. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Hear that. We look at you. We choose to no longer look at the appearance, the outward, the appearance of the flesh. We judge no man by the flesh, but now by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. In Jesus' name. If you've been blessed by that, say amen. 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 All right, Pastor Alex. It's a good word, Pastor Mike. If you have your phones ready, text your questions to the number on the screen or tweet them. To at Victory Wire. And I just got to say, we ain't getting any tweet love up in here. I don't know what's going on. Heather, you might ought to check the mailbox. I think some people may have mailed their questions in. <laughs> I'm just playing. Just playing. Go ahead and text them in. Go ahead and text them in. Check this out. Here's our first question. Mike, why, do, why does Christ keep testing us sometimes to a point where we question our faith and patience? Um, well, I think that tests are to show us where we are. Um, you know, if you go to school and you show up on class and you halfway pay attention, when test time comes, you don't have to be afraid. 
Uh, you don't have to be sitting up there, you know, taking your five-hour energy shot all night long, just cramming for the test the next day. Red Bull. Red Bull, okay. Red, Red Bull is for sissies. Uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, a test. This is a message of the emergency broadcast system. This is a test. It is only a test. Uh, there are tests that we go through. We, we go through grade-level placement, so at the end of the year, to make sure that we actually learn what we're supposed to learn. Now, last 20 years in our educational system, you get promoted because you're, you don't want to be a big 22-year-old sitting in a sixth-grade classroom. But how many of you know God is not interested in that? He wants to make sure that you learn what you're supposed to from algebra yesterday so you can lay the groundwork on today's algebra lesson. And the kingdom of God is a very whole lot like algebra. What you learned yesterday is going to affect how you learned the lesson today. Now, God tempts no man, but buddy, let me tell you something. He will test. He will, it's a righteous thing to, for us to find out where we are. God, when he says he tested Abraham so that he could see what was in his heart. How many of you know it wasn't because God didn't know the answer already? It was because Abraham didn't know the answer. Give him some James 1, Mike. When, when God asks a question, it isn't because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants to hear you say it and many times get a revelation. James 1, let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted of God. But when we, are tempted, when we are tempted, we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin and sin brings forth death. Just quoting James 1 to you there. Walking Bible. No. No. No, no. I don't. I, don't, I, I re- love it. I refuse that. I don't, I don't want that image. Because every now and then, I, I, I enjoy when people say, well, what? And I go, I don't know. I go, but I'll tell you what, I sure can find out. Because I am not going to be kept with this idea where I have to maintain some kind of a front. Sometimes I know the word and I quote it like the back of my hand. Other times I have to go, wait a minute, let's go find it together, okay? And I appreciate the compliment. That's not a correction for you. I'm just saying all of us have all kinds of images that we have to, i got to take the pastor hat off and just be a real guy, Okay? Because guess what? I can quote it up here and walk out the room and be tempted. And if I don't deal with it just like you do, then it's, it's, it's worthless. Because that's where it all comes down to it. Before I'm a shepherd, I'm a sheep. Okay? Yes, God tests you. That's why he tests you because he wants you to see where you are. And you know what? Let me say this. You, you get into the gym of life and you press through things in resistance. And it's only when you press through something that you think is bigger than you are that your strength actually grows. You press more. You, you get a promotion. Let me just say this to you. You know what real promotion in the kingdom of God is? You want to get promoted on your job? Be a problem solver, not a problem creator. Quit complaining about the boss. Pray for him or her and come up with some solutions. Don't complain and whine around all the time. I'm going to tell you, you want the blessing of God on your life? Find solutions to the problems your boss is facing and he will promote you. Guess what promotion is? It means you get to handle bigger problems. That's kingdom right there, folks. That means I embrace the test, and guess what? If I, if I spend time in the Word, God is going to see to it that I make that thing through with flying colors, with an A+, because he who speaks all things brings them into my remembrance. He will carry me through the test. Amen. Check this one out. This is real practical. Considering God loves all his children, he would not condemn them, condemn them to hell for drug addictions, would he? The only thing God is going to condemn any of us to hell for is the sin of unbelief. Because we don't put our trust in him. Christians have struggles. Christians who know Jesus, who are full of the Holy Ghost, can have a drug problem. There are people in this room, and I don't want anybody to get uncomfortable. There are people in this room who have drug issues, and they're not the illegal kind. 
Yours is legitimized. You just go to a couple of doctors so you can keep it going. And I don't have anybody in mind. I'm just talking. I'm just working statistically. Nobody's on my mind. I don't even know if anybody is literally right now. But in a group this size, I guarantee you somebody's struggling with some prescription drugs. You love Jesus. He lives in your heart. You're going to have to, first of all, break denial and own up to it and get in somebody's face and go, guess what? I got this thing with OxyContin, and I just can't get rid of it. I need somebody to help me, and I've got to, I've got to walk free from this. And it's amazing how, let's just say I'm the one who has that, and I can look down on the dude who's pot smoking and get a pharisaical finger and go, he's doing illegal. Just because yours is illegal, honey, don't mean it's any different in the sight of God. Jesus loves you. He wants to set you free from your struggle, whether, it is a, whether it's chemical, whether it's sexual, whether it's food, whether it's money, materialism, greed, whatever it is, anything that's keeping you from being all that God called you to be. You can be a Christian and still struggle in that stuff, not because God's designed for you to be that way, but because the enemy has tempted you, deceived you, and now he's accusing yeah. you. And we want to help you by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony get you free from all of that mess. Come on, somebody. That's right. And when you say, Mike, I mean, like you said, in, I think in the first service, the, the, appet- the flesh has an appetite, man, and all of us have a different flavor, right? I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna to have some version of that. We're all going to have an appetite for something that the flesh just wants because it's the flesh. But, but we mortify that with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Absolutely. That passage right there in Colossians 3, literally in the King James says, mortify the deeds of the flesh. This a translation I just read says, put all that stuff away from you. It's like taking off a bad, stinky garment. Just throw it down, get in the shower of the Word, and get washed off. Renew yourself in your mind in terms of who you are in Christ. That's the only way you can get rid of that. You can deal with that. You have anything else? Oh, man, I got, we've got two services full. Okay, what if you're <laughs> in the middle of a transformation and you stop? Can you just stop and finish later in life? That's a little vacation, baby. That's a great question. Um, you know, I think you can certainly probably veer off course. Um, you, can, you can be running the ball down the field, headed for the goal line, about to win a touchdown, and get sidelined by a blocker or be tackled and pulled off the sideline. Uh, that's where we're trying to teach this thing in practicality in the sense of don't be, you know, learn how to deal with temptation. We all are. Learn to deal with the voice of the deceiver and the accuser. Um, I just want to say this. I think that if we're all honest, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, everybody in this room would probably have to admit it sometime or another. You've had seasons when you've been really on fire for God. You've had seasons when you haven't been. And maybe you've even been dabbling with some things that you shouldn't be dabbling with. I don't think you're ever so far away that you can't make your way back. And it doesn't mean that you have to take that, that, that uh, journey of 10,000 steps Really, all it is, is you've been walking away from God. Maybe you're sitting in this room this morning, and you knew God in your past, and it's been 20 years, and you've walked 20 years out. God's not going to make you turn around and walk 20 years back. The biggest thing he wants you to do is turn around and walk one step toward him. He will rush to you right where you are. He will rush to you to receive you right where you are. It's the story of the two prodigals, the one who stayed, the one who strayed. And the church of America is filled with elder brothers that judge the younger brothers. One is about moral conformity. It's about legalism and rules and sitting up and looking like little Sunday school Sam and Sunday school Sally. I got the joy of the Lord. And then we want to judge 
the younger brother who's run out and tried to discover who he is, and at least he's honest, he's living who he thinks he's discovered himself to be. Both of them are paths that keep you away from the father. One's right up in the house with the father, but he's not even connected to him. And he's ticked off because the younger one finds his way back. This is where I'm going to tell you something. I'd rather fight sin demons any day than to fight religious demons. Folks who want to argue about the worship style and the color of the carpet or whether you have any or not and all these different stupid things. It's just a stinking religious pharisaical spirit. I'd rather, have a, I'd rather have a room full of people that are coming and are honest saying, look, I've got this sin struggle because when you're real with Jesus, Jesus can get real with you. I believe that with all of my heart. That's why God is doing something so powerful in this church right now is because we're doing everything we can to drive out that spirit of the elder brother and, and, and at the same time embrace him and go, buddy, lay down all this legalism and realize you've been in the house with the Father all these years and you don't even know him. You're not going to win God's favor by dotting all your religious I's and crossing all of your T's. Not any more than you are about there running and experiencing the pattern and the conforming of all the world system. Both of them have to come back to a prodigal God, a prodigal father who loves so extravagantly that he's willing to lay it all down for both of them. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? That's how much God loves each and every one of you in this room. He does not. He loves you and will receive you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Come on, grace is not just some great big blanket that we just all throw over ourselves revealing the lumps of all of our sin. Just basically it says, oh, you know, God loves me anyway. Well, yes, God loves me in spite of my stuff that's not pleasing to him. But grace is the operational power. See, the evangel evangelicalism only preaches half the definition of grace. Grace is not only unmerited favor. It's also operational power. You get the grace of God in your life. You have the ability now to live the life you never could live on your own. It's the power of God to live the Christian life. Grace teaches me to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to say no to those things, to let the Spirit of Christ be revealed in my life. The only sin that you will be condemned to hell for, it's not any, any other sin other than the sin of unbelief. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That one will keep a lot of people out of heaven and send them straight to hell because they've not exercised their trust and their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, not in our ability to hopefully try to curry God's favor by getting a few nice little religious gold stars, by helping little ladies across the street and buying enough Girl Scout cookies and giving to the United Fund, going to church once in a while, sitting up and looking good, making sure that the facade of religiosity is all in place. Because God's looking at your heart. He's looking at mine too. Don't care how many scriptures I can quote. What's in my heart is what, can, what matters. What's in your heart this morning? It's very simple. I've used this one illustration this whole month, and I'm, I'm going to do it one more time. It's, 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 not a, it's not a huge array of choices. It's just two. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all are made alive. John 3, 37 says, He that has the Son has life. He that does not obey the Son shall not see life. John uh, repeated it again in his, in his little epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son 
has not life. It's just that simple. Do you have Jesus in your heart this morning? That's what you need. He is your ticket to heaven. But oh my God, it's so much more than that. It's not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about getting heaven into you right down here on this earth. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And I would just ask you this question this morning. Can you answer that question? Where are you in relation to Jesus? Is he in your heart? Is he in your life? None of us are good enough. We can't earn it. We will never deserve it. Somebody said, Pastor, how can a loving God send anybody to hell? And I would just turn that question back around and say, how can a holy God send any of us to heaven? I deserve hell. But by grace through faith, God has saved me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. He will give it to you. You reach out and receive it and exercise your faith to take hold of it. It's not about a magic prayer or a formula. It's not about having all of your theology right. All you have to do is say three words, Jesus, save me. In that, you are saying, I'm turning from my past and I'm turning to you. I repent. I leave the past behind. I, in faith, I turn toward you, Jesus, and I cry out to you, save me, change my life. It is a mess. I need you, Jesus. I give myself away so you can use me. This morning, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I just want to ask you with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd like to be included in this prayer and you're saying today, Pastor, I've heard the word today. There's something alive that has gotten into me and it's stirring me and I feel like God is reaching to me this morning and, and, and I want to know with confidence that Jesus is my Savior. If you just slip up your hand, I want to pray with you today. I want to include you in this prayer. Anybody? Yes. Hold them up for just a second. It's one, two over there. Three, four, five. Yes. Praise God. You can put your hand down. Now, you're a believer. You've been walking with the Lord for a while, but yet there's something that you personally have struggled with. There's a temptation if there's come a deception, and maybe you're being accused right now, and you know that momentarily you forgot who you were in Christ, and you feel like you just are pinned in a corner by the enemy. Nobody knows. Nobody knows the struggle. It's totally between you and God. But if you'll just slip up your hand right now, let me include you in this prayer. Yes, several around the room. Thank you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of being able to deliver your powerful word to your sheep today. I thank you, Lord, for these who in the beginning raised their hands and said, I want to cross the line of faith. I want to know that Jesus is my Savior. Thank you today, Lord, that as they say those words in their heart right now, Jesus, save me. Lord, that you meet them even as they turn and take that first step. You run and cover all the others. You're, you said in your word, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're rushing to the side of every one of these that are saying this morning, Jesus, save me. Lord, it's not by our works, but it's by your grace. Thank you that they're born into the kingdom of God. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Lord, for these others this morning who've acknowledged a temptation, the deceptive power of the enemy, the accusing work of the enemy, Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters right now, and I thank you that you help us to do what those saints did in Revelation 12, verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Jesus, we look back to the cross 2,000 years ago where the lamb shed his blood. That's done. You've done your part. Now, right now, Jesus, out of our mouth, we confess our sin, our temptation. We give it to you. 
Thank you, Lord. Your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lead us, O oh God, into a relationship with a brother or sister that we trust. If we're stuck in a, a pattern of behavior that we've repeated numerous times that we can just open up and confess and say, pray for me, I want to be accountable. God, I thank you that you deliver us from the power completely. Whatever that struggle is that my brother and my sister have this morning, thank you that you meet their needs and you set them free. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said,